and a very good morning. Welcome to Breakfast with Patton Hills on this Friday, the 2nd of February, brought to you by MFP Easy, voted Queensland's best fiberglass pool builder, and Hyundai. The Hyundai SUVs, SUV sale event is on now. Mark Braybrook filling in for Paddy, who won $100 million last night in Powerball and decided not to come in. Ian Healy, good morning. Hold them all to kisses. Uh, such and such. Yeah. Uh, yes. Get Mark. Uh, lovely to have you. Yeah, Paddy's uh, on, on on duty in Bundaberg. In Bundaberg. He didn't said. win the $100 million. I don't think I did, and I don't think you did. Although Helen bought a ticket, but you haven't heard from her yet? No. There's a mystery correct. winner in southeast Queensland. Okay, and but there's two overall. Two overall, one in New South Wales and one in southeast Queensland. So we won't mm-hmm. worry about the New South Wales winner, but someone in southeast Queensland, maybe one of our listeners, is one hundred million dollars richer this morning. Paddy <laughs> wouldn't tell us either. You know, he'd he just put it with the rest and just <laughs> wouldn't be able to spend it. Maybe get a, a clean of the of the Calais and um, oh, he might start paying for him. Yeah, yeah, beauty. Yeah. Anyway, if you've if you've won the hundred mil, let us know. Because the Suncorp Home Resilience Open Line is thirteen thirteen fifty five, or you can send us a text zero four six seven seven three six seven three six. My golf mates, we put ten dollars in each, but the guy who's looking after it heels haven't heard from him since Wednesday. So I don't know what our numbers were. I don't. I am assuming that we didn't win. Otherwise, I would have thought I might have got a text at least. Not Andy. No, Andy's one of the four, but I wouldn't trust him with money. So okay. uh, one did of the you go the, Did you go the guaranteed power number? I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. But if I get a text during the middle of the show and then all of a sudden you don't hear from me, would <laughs> you we know have, we've won. Would we have known by now if we won? Do they ring you? Well, I think we're he's a registered player, so we would have known, yeah, unfortunately. But if you just bought a ticket over the counter, they have no way of contacting you. That's why it's a mystery winner. They don't know. Yeah, Or you've asked for no publicity mm. uh, if you win. So there you go. Oh. I don't even know how to read the numbers. Coming up on the show today, we're going to catch up with Queensland Reds coach, Les Kiss. It's never a bad day when you speak to a North Sydney great. He was you and Paddy. Paddy, he's a Hall of Famer in, in uh, Team of the Century in Bundaberg. And uh, so Paddy was, is, you know, desperate to chat with him. Well, he's got big shoes to fill, taking over from Brad Thorne as coach of the Queensland Reds, a big year for the Reds. And they've got uh, their first or their final trial, the Super Rugby trial against the Western Force before the season starts. And the rugby always starts before the other codes because they have a, a sort of uh, the Super Rugby, then their international season, which seems to go on forever. Ever. So we'll catch up with Les a little bit later in the program to find out how the Reds are going and what his hopes and aspirations are for this year. Um, sports medical expert Dr. Peter Larkins will join us to discuss the new concussion guidelines uh, for recreational sport in Australia. It's, you, you, in particular, Hills, have been talking about this uh, and Paddy for a couple of years now, um, and it's only going to grow. Um, yeah. Oh, totally. There's all sorts of collisions, eh? Mm. That, that that might cause a concussion. So, and I, I see in the newspaper today the coaches, the NRL coaches, have been surveyed, and their responses to a range of questions are in the paper. They'll be online as well, I'd imagine. And um, you know, they they don't seem concerned that concussion might uh, change the future of their game. They sort of said, "No, we're not concerned." For on that question, I'm thinking, "Oh, this is massive for your game." I reckon NRL, uh, AFL, mm. uh, rugby, or anyone where you've got whiplash or heads down or players running into each other, it's yeah, got to change. And we've seen it in cricket how it's changed cricket um, in the last couple of years with 
concussion replacements. Marnus Labuschagne gets his start in a test match because of concussion and a career builds. And even in the, the test before last, Usman Kawaja hit second last ball pretty much of the, the test match and was you know, under some sort of doubt for the second test at the Gabba because he had to go through a concussion protocol. So yeah. even though he's wearing the helmet... And he passed them hit. pretty easy. So by the sound of it, without any secondary test mm. or anything like that, didn't he? So that, that was good because I've never known anyone... Uh, to have concussion symptoms persist. Mm. So what were we missing? Uh, what were we covering up? The the person who had been hit in the head, because we used to get hit in the head. Uh, I'm all right. I'm were, all right. They, were they covering up mm. dizziness or or and, and pushing through it or it didn't happen? Has it become more and more prevalent now? Why? Well, speak to Doc Larkins about that. And soccer's another one, heading the ball. The yeah. discussions over, you know, a lot of in the UK. And uh, whiplash, blokes in yeah, your back. Yeah. So, yeah. anyway, that uh, Chris Nelson will join us and we'll also preview the uh, Asian Cup quarterfinal, Australia versus South Korea tomorrow morning, that is. And, of course, this afternoon, Hills, the MCG, the first of the one day as Australia take on the West Indies. You'll hear that match here on SEN. And a couple of new faces in that side, including our own Xavier Bartlett. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing to even think about that, that I'm in that position to potentially play. Um, yeah, I mean, I just got to try and soak it in and um, if I get an opportunity, hopefully my best foot forward and, um, yeah, see what happens. Just trying to really focus on what I want to try and, you know, how I want to bowl out in the middle and, um, yeah, also try and stay relaxed, which is hard at times with such an exciting opportunity potentially on the horizon. He's talking all the right stuff. He's he's ready to stick to his plan and get it done. No nice stuff, Zave. Get land the ball where you want to land it. Swing it away. Pick an edge or two up, and don't give away easy runs. Uh, that that's what you have to do. You're now in the one day team for Australia. You need to be just as economical and skillful as you have been at first class level. Um, you're you're ready. Let's get the job done. Looks like Josh Inglis might open. Um, so he kind of he gets the chance to take on Gilly's role when we could keep an opening batsman with Mark War in the day. Uh, he'll be with Travis Head, I'd imagine, and so the replacement for David Warner. So he needs to make the most of that opportunity too, just like Xavier, because he'll lose it very quickly to Matt Short, you know, who's the just opening position, hovering yeah. at number seven, probably. I, I can see Aaron Hardy at six, uh, Marnus and Steve Smith four and five. Cameron Green, they're saying, will probably bat three. That's where Mitch Marsh has been batting in the one days, but not playing this this week. Uh, so, yeah, that, some excitement. They've got some good players, and uh, the wild thing will be unleashed with the ball, yeah. Lance Morris. But they're also talking about Cameron Green not playing white ball cricket in New Zealand to stay in Australia to play Sheffield Shield. Same with yeah. Manus as well, to get yeah. some red ball before the test matches against New Zealand, which yeah. is the next uh, time the Australians will be playing uh, red ball cricket. Yes. So Good idea. Really good idea because Green has spent that much time in India just playing so much white ball stuff. He, mm. he's, he can really uh, do well with an innings of four or five hours. Yeah. Um, and so too, Manus has got to get it all, all things back smooth again. Um, and sometimes, you know, with this power, we got a lot of power in this team uh, spread through, you know, with Travis Head and Josh Inglis up front. Then, so you've got to load that power up. We're missing Mitch Marsh and David Warner, but uh, then every now and then there's a storm that needs to be weathered. If we're three, did you see the game New South Wales, Western Australia yesterday? At no, the Wacker, yeah. they were none for 15, three for 15. <laughs> Jack Edwards had three wickets in no time, three for none. Um, so, so uh, and and uh, New South Wales beat Western Australia in the end. 
Um, you've got to weather a storm or two, and that's where Marnus and Steve Smith can be part of it. But then unleash Hardy, uh, short, in, and maybe sometimes not use Marnus in a one-day game. You know, if you if you want to now start scoring at 10 and over, Marnus is not the man and, unless he shows us he is. Mm. Um, so at this stage he hasn't been. He's been the storm weatherer. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing uh, how we use our team. And, and and I'd be tempted to play at least Fraser McGurk in Melbourne. Yeah. You know, and this one's weird. in Melbourne. Then they go to Sydney and then Canberra, I think. And, uh, you know, I'll, wait. I'm looking forward to seeing how Lance Morris goes. He's been on the periphery for a while, hasn't played a lot of cricket um, other than yep. the Big Bash of late. A lot of nets. Yeah. They might have to put nets up for him. Yeah, to see how he goes. And it's, Pace it's, doesn't do you a whole lot on flat one-day international wickets. It needs to be well-positioned, uh, and that's what he struggled with a little bit. He steams in and can get hit. Is Michael Lisa just forgotten about? or? Uh, I'd say so. Uh, he's been he's been over-jumped by Xavier. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there, there's one. And Xavier's perfectly aged. Ness is probably... Yeah. a Thirty-three years of age now, and uh, not not so well positioned age-wise, but but uh, he, he would do he a job. Play, that's for think, sure. I don't think he can play any better than he's playing at the moment. In all aspects, he's batting, he's bowling, and he's fielding. Some of the catches he took in the BBL oh, were just extraordinary. Incredible. So, Imagine his highlight reel. Yeah. So anyway, that uh, game this afternoon you'll hear right here on SEN. And as white ball cricket arrives, we're into February. Hard to believe that uh, it's the second month of the year already. And Australia taking on the West Indies tonight. A little bit of rugby league news around two heels. Um, they're in the Queensland Maroons, the Origin players, are in camp this weekend. Billy Slater's got them all together. There's... About 30 that are in camp preparing for this year. Um, It's all the players that have played over the last two series. Mm -hmm. So that means those players that were overlooked for last year, 2023, for example, Capewell and Dane Gagai just off the top head. Yeah. Um, If they played in 2022 and 2023, they're in camp this weekend with uh, Billy Slater and his new assistant coach, Matt Ballon. Okay, what about... It's exactly the same as the playing days. He was always in front of me as a player and always in front of me as a coach. But, um, you know, I'm just... I'm, I'm lucky to get an opportunity. And um, I guess it goes back to when I was playing. Um, Mal Meninga was a coach then. And when, when I was playing, he said, you, you know, you, you haven't been picked to uh, to be Cameron Smith. You've been picked to be Matt Ballon when you play. So I'll be doing the same thing when I coach. Um, I'll just go in and, and do the best job I can. And um, I'm sure that's enough for Queensland. Mm. Yeah, he'll be fine. He's he's had a nice taste of it, hasn't he? Uh, what Highly about young talent? The Broncos, yeah. uh, his young talent. The emerging players are they in that camp, or are they going to be in another camp? I think that's a different one. Yeah, okay. From what I understand, um, that it's the players that have played the last two years just yes. to get together. It's one of the most impressive part of Billy Slater's coaching, and I've only ever seen him. I only ever been impressed with him. Yeah, the way he talks, from the day way one. he from day one. identifies players to ring and to, to give messages to, um, is his assembly of talent. In the last three years, the, remember three years ago, we were hopeless. Broncos, Titans, Cowboys, uh, we got any other teams? Well, now the Dolphins are in. Yeah, this is another yeah, team. So yeah, they weren't there. We, couldn't win ago. a game. Yeah. We were all downcast. And, and Particularly after like, that game in Townsville, 20 beaten by 30 or We didn't have any now. talent, yeah. but he's found it. He's not only found it, he's inspired it. And... 
they're running into camp now, and you look at the, the talent that isn't playing is incredible. And and so the depth in a lot of positions for Queensland is perfect. Yeah, he's done a wonderful job. But so too, I suppose, when you look at what you were saying about those clubs, that um, they've turned their fortunes around. The Cow- yeah. Although the Cowboys yeah. have, have gone backwards a little bit last year, but those younger players that they've developed, Tam, uh, uh, Tabuai, Fido, who's now gone to the Dolphins, has come on. Ruben Cotter's come on. Um, to Alungi oh. has come on. There's a number of players yeah. for the Cowboys. Same with the Broncos. Now that Reese Walsh is back there and some of the other younger forwards. I mean, Paddy Carrigan, what, four years ago, three years ago, um, was just a bloke that was playing at Wynnum and all of a sudden got a, a chance in the Broncos and now he's an international and I think a future um, Queensland and Australian captain. Yep, the clubs have been well coached, yeah. that's for sure, and they've inspired them quickly. So, anyway, it's a camp this week for the Maroons and we're pretty much a month away from the start of the NRL season with a trip to Las Vegas for mm-hmm. round number one. How time flies, Heels. 13-13-55 is the Suncorp Home Resilience open line. You can send us a text 0467-736-736. Vanessa has joined us in the studio. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Friday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look, well, with some news headlines this morning, the weather event is not over yet for Queensland. Look, it's been a week since Tropical Cyclone Kiralee made landfall in Townsville and she is still making her impact felt. So currently located just north of Burketown. Uh, and so there is a severe weather warning for that area this morning, um, that Gulf Country kind of area. Again, heavy rain, damaging winds, uh, you know, we've seen um, things like supermarket shelves emptied, train services stopped, highways cut off, just with it, it's been a very slow moving system. So causing some really uh, heavy rain there. Uh, and so that low is expected to start tracking south today uh, and head down towards New South Wales next week. So look, we still haven't seen the last of it. And the Bureau is still monitoring the other low that has formed over the Coral Sea. Still no word as to whether it may form into a cyclone and head towards Queensland, but obviously keeping a close eye on that. I'm never going to live in the Coral Sea. Yeah, no, it's a dangerous <laughs> place. <laughs> no. well, I, I emptied my pool to, to paint the pool, yeah. right? Ooh. And it's now back to almost full. Wow, just from did you, the rain. Did you paint it? Yeah. I've painted it. I've put the first coat on, <laughs> but yeah, oh, I mean, not, not the second. Even getting the washing done has been a bit of a challenge over these last couple of weeks. You just, I found that too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, have you had a swim now, and tested if it's dry yet? It's green. <laughs> the paint? No, no, the pool's green and awful. The, the two okay. of the biggest cane toads oh, I've ever seen were gross. sitting on the ledge where the water hadn't quite got See? to. Oh, yet. That's Origin Camp. Know. That's Origin no. Camp. That's great. Your pool. Oh, no. Okay, look, we are all here at work today, so it wasn't us who won the power. We don't know yet, Vanessa. I don't know. I didn't didn't register. So there is one unknown ticket sold in southeast Queensland. Mm. So one winner from New South Wales. So they'll get $100 million each. Had to split that prize, but still Mm. not bad, is it? Mm. So check your tickets because if you did buy yours in southeast Queensland, then you could be the winner. And pretty much someone over the counter because if you buy online, you have to register. That's yeah, right. So it'll be someone's just gone into a shop and said, mm. yeah, give me a ticket. So the couple from Hunter Valley, who are the known winner, uh, yeah, they were called up last night. They were in bed, picked up the phone, got told the good news and obviously pretty ecstatic. It's but... a dream. Is it? It's just, it'd just be just an extraordinary thing to go through, to have you someone ring imagine. and tell you you've won $100 million. Yeah. As I much know. as when you buy your ticket, you hope. 
You realise it. You, you don't. No. Exactly. You don't expect it. Yeah. yeah. Down to anyway. the car dealer about now. They'll be waiting outside the car dealer. Well, for yeah. In the exactly. Hunter Valley, they might go and buy some sort of property in Scone. Yep. You know, it's oh, very old yeah. thoroughbred. Look. I was thinking a just stud. maybe the... Go and buy a stud. <laughs> They've said that they do want to go overseas and they'll help their children out. So, okay. it, you know, it sets up a whole family for life, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Should be yeah. a few generations. Yeah. Though. yeah. Now, lastly, we have been scrutinising very closely the schedules of Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift over these next couple of weeks because not only has Kelsey got the Super Bowl, uh, um, Taylor has her shows, you know, will she be at the game? She's also got the Grammys coming <laughs> up. And so Kelsey has actually been a guest uh, on the Pat McAfee show, a podcast, and he's been asked about the scheduling and whether he might actually make a surprise appearance at the Grammys this weekend where Taylor Swift is nominated for multiple awards. <laughs> I wish I could go support Taylor at the Grammys and uh, watch her win every single award that, the, that she's nominated for. But I think uh, I think I got I got practice on Sunday <laughs> or uh, I think Sunday is a travel. Is it Saturday or Sunday? I know I got practice Saturday, but Sunday's a travel day. Unfortunately, I got to get ready for this big old Super Bowl that we got in a week. Look, it's a very busy schedule for those two at the moment. Will he come down to Australia? We still don't know. Maybe. Maybe he'll come and support because the season will be over Paddy will probably go to lunch with him too. Yeah, <laughs> Tom probably. Brady, now Travis Kelsey. I know. Um, we, we spoke to Phil Murphy, I think, uh, a Kansas City radio person, yep. and uh, he reckons Travis Kelsey was everywhere and people would just say, oh, that, that's Travis Kelsey over there. Oh, yeah, good, good, good. Now it's, Travis, can you have a <laughs> selfie with us? It, it's All because changed of his life, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep, the Swifties are and for powerful, those, aren't they? <laughs> for those that aren't uh, Kansas City fans, they're really getting annoyed by the focus on Taylor yep. Swift at the NFL games. Oh, yeah. <laughs> good on you, Vanessa. Thank you for that. 13, 13, 55, the Suncorp Home Resilience Open Line. You can text us 0467 736 on Pat and Heels for breakfast, it's time for the Racing Queensland update. Racing action continues every day across the Sunshine State. Check out racingqueensland.com.au for where Queensland is racing today. Chris Nelson, good morning to you. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Heels. Oh, that opener almost makes as if feels like we're in the stables. Yeah, yeah, very oh, impressive. It's only taken yeah, three sure. years. Yeah. Slowly the track's drying out, are they? The, the um, Eagle Farm, better than Doombin, but it looks it's good for at the moment. Will, will you yeah. get through tomorrow's yeah. meeting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no rain forecast as far as I know. Um, and look, it's dried out beautifully. Only, only it was a soft six on Wednesday, so it was always going to dry out to a good four. And we'll get some lovely warm conditions and a good day's racing at Eagle Farm. So mm. looking forward to it. You know how much I like wet tracks, so more than happy. And 10 races tomorrow, Chris. You must have been a busy man the last few days. What have you got for us? As you know, Mark, I'm always a busy mm, man. But, mm. yes, 10 races keeps me out of trouble. Now, I'm going to tip you three horses that both come out of uh, midweek uh, runs and wins last time out. And they were very impressive. I think they can take the step up to Saturday Company. And they are race five, number two, Captain Finkel. I think he's really on the up. Uh, he's dominant winning his last start. He's only had two starts. Uh, race Race 6, number 13, Lennox. Now, Lennox won two straight. Probably should have won three straight. Was very unlucky, three back. Goes for four on the trot, obviously, tomorrow. Rolls forward from the good gate. I just don't see a lot in the opposition, so I think the mayor, Lennox, can win again. And race 8, number 9, Belvedere Boys. Now, he's very promising. 
Only had the four starts, two wins, two placings. Trained at Mwillenbar by Matt Dunn. He gets back in his races. He will tomorrow from that wide gate, but he gets an extra 200 metres, and he can really find the line, this horse. And we can back him each way. So the first two, the win. The last one on an each-way basis, guys. And mm. did you happen to see any of the, uh, the dish lickers last night at Albion Park? Oh, no, I, I didn't. Um, what, what happened? Well, we had the Gold Bullion Final and yes. the Gold Cup Final. And uh, they're both very exciting. The Gold Cup was won by Valipachella. Oh, yes, okay. Abbott. And the Gold Bullion was won by Morton for Jessica Sharp. Both very exciting greyhound races. They came from off pace. Yes. Well, uh, Val Policella, um, Lukey Gatehouse tipped, sort of said it's wide open because Jay's Jay's not available and uh, was yes. a scratching. And, uh, yeah, so he tipped it and got there. He said it was wide open and tipped it, it to well, be a yeah. good race. And Val Policella was probably eight lengths off them halfway wow. and, uh, and made up the ground late. So that was a, a really good finish. So Luke would have enjoyed his big stake last night, no doubt about yes. that. Yeah, so yeah, it's cut for our mate Luke Gatehouse. So race five, number two, Captain Finkel. Race six, number 13, Lennick. And yep. it was race nine, was it, or race eight? Eight. Race eight. It was race eight. Number eight. nine. Number nine, Belvedere Boys. They're your three for tomorrow right at Eagle Farm. Now, well, Sunshine Coast, you know, there, there seems like a lot of unknown horses in that field at Eagle Farm. And um, Is it a, just a new brigade or, we, you know, do Queensland horses, the, the well-known ones, rest at this stage? Which, which race are you talking about? Oh, here? all of them. I don't, well, know. I don't re- know many of the horses Heels tomorrow. hasn't met any of the horses yeah. that are they, racing They tomorrow. turn over quick, don't they? They spill. They, they do. Have a break. Well, well, they do. And, of course, we're out of carnival time now, so we get uh, the second or the lower level of horses for the next couple of months. But every horse gets their chance, I suppose. Yes. And, yeah, it is a bit uh, – they are very even. So you generally find the horses that get the right run in the race uh, come out on top. And okay. Yeah, that'll be the case for the next couple of months or so. So, and who's yeah, on the punters, mate? Times ahead. Who's on the punters, mate, this afternoon, Chris? Punters, mate, this afternoon, Mark. We have Talia Fenlon on now. She rode her first Metro winner, or Saturday Metro winner, last Saturday. Uh, apprentice to Chris Munts was formerly up north with John Manselman. So Talia's terrific. We've had her on a couple of shows, but we'll have a chat to her. She's got some good rides uh, tomorrow at Eagle Farm, mate. How far north is she? Rockhampton. No, she was further. She was riding around Cairns at one, one okay. stage, I'm sure. So she was she was quite a way north. So, but she's doing a terrific job. She's a lovely young girl, and Sammy and I will certainly find out all about her today. Right. Good on you, mate. We'll talk again soon. Chris Nelson talking racing, and it continues every day across the Sunshine State. Check out racingqueensland.com.au for where Queensland is racing today. What are you really gambling with for free and confidential support? Visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. You've been discussing, you and Patty, for a long time now, uh, a couple of years, about um, how concussion in many sports around the world is changing the face of sport, and it's reached uh, uh, to a number of sports. Cricket, we saw, as we discussed, with um, Manus Labashain getting his start in test career, coming in as a concussion sub for Steve Smith, and Osman hit in the head uh, in Adelaide a couple of weeks ago in the test against the West Indies. Of course, our uh, really physical sports, rugby league, rugby union, AFL in this country, are also being affected. But there's also new concussion guidelines for junior and community sport that recommend athletes wait three weeks before resuming competitive contact action. Now, a um, very good friend of SEN is Dr. Pete Larkins, who is a expert in the area of sports medicine, and he joins us this morning. Dr. Larkins, good morning. Yeah, good morning, guys. Nice to talk with you again. This is a major, major issue, isn't it? Concussion in sport and 
and how it's going to change the landscape of sport uh, in years to come. Yeah, look, I think I'm sick of hearing myself say it. I think it's the biggest challenge facing sport at the moment. We always talk about knee injuries and hamstring and you know, getting injuries and long-term effects of injuries in, in, in athletes and players. But, but you know, if we look at the, the, the thing that's dominating the medical world is discussion about the brain and the long-term consequences of you know, how many concussions are you allowed to have and how long does it take to get over a concussion, how long is a piece of string conversation in a lot of conversations. So, you know, but certainly now in terms of the younger brains, the younger athletes community and, and the uh, amateur athletes, they do not have access to the same degree of sophisticated medical supervision, diagnostic care, let alone management care that the professional sports teams do. And so it's a real dilemma in the community because there's far more concussions every weekend, guys happening around the community grounds in Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, than they are in the, in the rugby league or the AFL. And so... Mm. Trying to work out what's the time frame and what's safe has really been a dilemma for the medical world, as it is for the sporting associations. Well, take it right back, Pete. Can you do it for us? What is concussion? Well, concussion, when, when you and I started playing sport heels, was just considered to be a little bit ding in the head. It was a transient thing where the lights went out or you just were dizzy for a while and not didn't have to be unconscious and was considered to be a temporary electrical fault with no brain consequence. Now the, the definition has emerged over the last 10 years where it's it's a minor traumatic brain injury but can have long-term um, brain information processing problems, processes as in memory and, and as in um, you know cognitive things to do. So it, it's a brain injury rather than just a temporary electrical thing. And the the ability to recover from it measured in terms of objective things like take a picture of your brain and say now you're better that just that technology's not been there and we're seeing concussion now evolve heels into a situation where it can have behavior issues longer term even in someone who's just had one bad one not mm. 10 and so it's so variable that we i think you know the, the ability to understand how the brain works is something that's still way behind in the science world. And so we're looking at concussion now as a significant injury, a bit like we would a, you know, a major knee injury with long-term life consequences in some people. Well, that leads to the question I was going to ask, Doc, the, the fact that we don't know a lot, do we? we we're learning more daily. No. There's still so much to learn. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I've sort of used the analogy, if we're looking at the timeline in history, we're in the dark ages still when it comes to the concussion management. We've made so much progress in sports injury management, you know, and I'm again talking about you know muscle recovery and knee reconstructions and shoulder and things like that, and there's incredible um, improvements in orthopedic care. But when it comes to the neurosciences and the brain understanding of, of how brain waves work and, and memory and neurons, we understand the structure of the brain. But in terms of the the actual nuances, there's still a lot to be understood about how we process information and, and how you know, memory works and, and how behaviour works. Um, and we've seen that because the mental health issues have become so prominent in, in the world of sport and, and you know the general community mental health issues, which which have become rampant. So we're trying to find out a little bit about how to measure concussion. I'm obviously diagnosing the easy concussions. When someone gets KO'd and taken off the ground, you know that's concussion. The bloke yep. on the back of the stand can diagnose that. It's the simple ones where you might just get tackled in a rugby or a, or a game where you, or you get bumped heavily and your brain shakes, and then you develop headache or a little bit of fogginess. So these are things that happen in community sport every weekend, as I said, and there's not an expert doctor on the sidelines like there is at NRL or AFL that knows exactly the right questions to ask or the tests to do that can take 20 minutes. 
And so we're going to have this dilemma, I think, with this new conservative rule, which I'm, I'm, in, I'm in favour of, guys, because I think you know when we're talking about returning to sport, you want to make sure someone's completely recovered. Now, completely recovered can be no symptoms, which is the patient saying, I don't have a headache and I'm not tired and I'm sleeping all right. But then there's the objective medical measurement where you might be doing sophisticated testing or brain scan. Now, the country clubs and the junior sports don't have access to that. So taking the longer time frame makes sense to me. But there's been incredible backlash in Victoria here just in the last 24 hours, guys, from country associations saying that we have trouble finding enough players to, yes. to field a team in any week as it is. If you're going to now restrict everyone who's got a headache or everyone gets bumped at training, has got to stand out for 21 days. Now, you know, so I understand their position, but we're sort of saying, well, hey, haven't we got to take a you know, correct approach? Because look at the litigation that's happening already in sport with certain concussion cases. So it's it's a dilemma for country sports that are short of players, for sure. But we've got to be protecting the brain, don't we agree? Uh, yeah, yes, that's, that's right. And so, you know, it's it's always been our showpiece, hasn't it? The, the old unprotected collisions in Australian sport. Have a look at us. How tough are we? And 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 now it's going to change. Um, it's going to make. Is it going to be attractive enough to keep playing such sports? Yeah, well, look. I mean, it's 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 part of the fabric of the game. Of course, we you know people love a contest. They love the you know the hustle and bustle and the contact and the collision and you know the old days we've cleaned up you know the shirt front and the, and the yes. so-called you know king hit, which is a terrible name, but it's really a coward's punch. We call it these days from you know behind the play hits. But, but equally, our game is a contacted collision sport, whether it's rugby, whether it's, you know, it, it, it's it's Aussie rules football. There are other sports like the jockeys have a lot of trouble with concussions. So a lot of this new attitude about the 21 days, guys, has been driven by the UK system of rugby and, and um, the jockeys because they've got a strong medical system over there and they've always felt that the conservative program needed to be extended. So we're sort of following global trends a little bit with the Institute of Sport and the junior things here. But the issue comes down, there's been, you know, suggestions made that we don't allow tackling in training or we don't allow bumping in training. In the UK, they don't allow heading of the ball in soccer training for under 15 training. So you don't get knocks on the head from the soccer ball. So you can see the whole preparation of an athlete suddenly being changed in terms of their skill development yes. in, in one sense, right? So... But, but is that the right attitude? So there's less chances that you're going to get knocks during the week and you, and you save your knocks for the weekend. But I, I find it really difficult to sort of find the balance there because, you know, it's like saying to a, to a player, you're not allowed to kick the football in case you get a sore foot. So they get into a game and they've forgotten how to kick. Yes. So you forget how to tackle. You forget how to um, to deal with bumping. And so it, it's a real balance because you, you're trying to win. I just limit the number of times in a season or the number of times in a career that people are exposed to a hit in the head. And that's reasonable to say, well, let's let's stop that. But also you want to develop the skills and fabric of the game so that people develop the ability to play the sport and not get on the field and be um, be uncoordinated because they're not used to doing it. It's and, a real dilemma, right? Yeah, and exposed to real physical. Well, and also we all uh, – we know the benefits of people playing sport and people being in that team environment as well and how important yeah, it is well, for yeah. youngsters to play sport. Yeah, well, that's the other threat I've spoken about a little bit is, you know, there's, 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 I guess, a bit of a threat to parents looking at what sports they're going to allow their kids to play. And they're looking at sports that potentially are now getting some negative publicity because there's a risk. You know, every sport's got a risk of, of getting injured, you know, in terms of the musculoskeletal injury, spraining an ankle or doing a muscle injury. And I guess parents accept that. There's, a, there's called a voluntary risk when you play. But now it comes to head injury. I guess there's a recruitment risk for certain sports where there's a higher risk that you're going to get a head injury. And parents might be saying, well, I don't want Jack or Jill to play those sports because we're hearing all these problems about, you know, brain health and da-da-da. So 
yet the, the value of sport is being eroded if people are not playing sport because we've got enough fitness issues in this country. We've got overweight. We've got people that, that are obese. We've got lack of fitness in, in the kids and, and not enough um, school sports. So this whole global health thing or community health thing is affected if people aren't getting recreational sport because I'm a great fan for pushing that. But again, you've got to have a safe sport environment, which is what we're trying to look at here by having you know brain injury or head injury in a younger player or an amateur player treated with a bit more conservative, allowing them to recover. But it does raise the issue of who's going to be the person that signs off on them returning. There's a lack of medical resources out there in the community away from the high-level professional sports. There's so much to talk about, There's Doc. A lot in yeah, that. and you know. Yeah, I'm sounding pretty negative, aren't I, guys? No. I'm sorry, but but I get look. I'm I'm absolutely in favour, as I said, of having conservative guidelines because when you don't have the medical care, you say, well, we're going to wait a bit longer before Jack or Jill's allowed to go back to that soccer game or back to that rugby game or whatever. And I and I absolutely agree with that. But you know, and the question is, that 21 days is still a best guess number. Let me just make that point. It's not like it's a science behind. Oh, it's got to be 21. Yes. Like the 12 day rule that exists in AFL, it's not a rule. It's a guideline, guys. It was a consensus statement, and that's where the AFL was sitting at the moment. Um, but it's not like there's science behind that. It's just they're giving players at least a minimum of a week off. Mm-hmm. If you've got 12 days, you're obviously going to miss next weekend. And this 21 day rule is just an extension of that in the community. Because, but it's not like there's a science to say everyone's fixed to 21 days. Some people take longer. Than that. I really appreciate your time, Doc. Thanks very much. Thanks very much, Peter. Okay, guys. Gloves off. Now on breakfast with Pat and Heels. Heels gets his gloves off. Yeah, my topic that I thought I'd touch on today is parents just be parents and trust the coaches. Uh, they'll probably make it if they're good enough and if they like it enough. Uh, sport is very easy to hate as a player. Mitch Marsh's roller coaster magnificent speech at Cricket's Awards Night the other night highlighted to me that even with all the qualified guidance of father and older brother, specific in his cricket profession, he still needed more from within the squad. Today's generations seem to be more needy and spend a lot of time clarifying their role description in the different formats of play with the staff that are associated to each team. The coaching staff and captain's connection seems more important than ever. Performance was the number one. Now connection seems to need to come first, which enables performance then to flourish. Much can be taken into other sports on this. Soccer slash football in junior circles, you know how competitive and ambitious the parents can become. Tennis as an individual world, swimming, athletics and the Olympic worlds are are so tough and grinding that you need to be very mindful of all these things as a parent. And as spectators, we presume all our representatives are living their dream. They certainly want it to be a dream. But it can be so hard to keep up with your heroes who are in the team and enjoying things when it feels average to you. The mind then races everywhere while the cover-up continues. You act in front of the others and sort of say, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. But you know you're not sleeping very well. And the game days, the pressure of game days just isn't enjoyable. And then the social media the day after is even worse. So as parents, we probably won't know half of this is going on. So just be present, aware and trusting of the Australian sporting systems when you're in Australia. Congratulations, though, to Andrew McDonald and Pat Cummins for what you've started with Mitch. And I'll bet if Mitch has benefited from your connection, then many others will too, I suspect. So so as parents, just be careful, be mindful and just 
keep an eye and ear out because it's it can be tough. Always a great day when you get to speak with the North Sydney legend. And added to that, Heels, he is the new coach of the Queensland Reds. He's also a fog, a former origin great, playing for the Mighty Maroons and over 100 games in the local competition as well. And as you mentioned, Paddy is in Bundaberg. He's also a Bundaberg legend, and he's got the uh, responsibility of getting our Queensland Reds over the line in Super Rugby this year. Of course, I speak of the one and only Les Kiss. Les, good morning. Welcome to the program. Thanks, guys. Uh, great to meet you. Great to be back in the uh, the greatest state in the world. Uh, oh. Enjoying it, mate, that's for sure. Yeah, you're liking it. It, it was time, was it? And, and the Reds' position becoming available was uh, perfect for you? Yeah, well, it, it landed. I, I had a, uh, a, a contract in, in London in, in the team I was with, London Irish, but that sort of got suspended from the league there, so suddenly I was out of a job. But okay. Queensland were, um, were very, very kind to let me back into the process here, and, and thankfully I'm I've got a job. Les, it's been an extraordinary uh, journey for you from uh, Bundaberg to around the world (laughs) and back here to Brisbane. Um, Could you have believed when you first started your sporting career where it would have taken you? Uh, No way, no way. You come from Bundy, you you do your best at uh, Bundy Brothers there. You're trying to always emulate. You want to be a Kerry Boasted and all those sort of things and and I was fortunate enough to get into the, into a, a place at, at the Fortitude Valley that, that launched me into Sydney with the North Sydney Bears, and uh, it went on from there. But to think that I would be uh, head coach of the Queensland Reds at that time, no, uh, no, nah, nah, would never have crossed the, uh, the dreams then, that's for sure. <laughs> and even, you know, you've done sp- uh, bits with Springboks and the Waratahs, a director of rugby in an interim role. You know, when, when you take on such new roles, did you need a whole lot of fast learning or... Was it quite smooth? Uh, it's it's quite smooth when you're in a system. You know, when I when I when you're in a system like the Irish rugby system, for example, you move through systems and you can actually just move on quickly. But to move from rugby league uh, coach with the Northern Eagles, which was that disaster with the the Bears and the Manly uh, Sea Eagles joining together, I, I I suddenly found myself in South Africa working with the Springboks, and uh, that was fast learning. You know, first time I ever experienced rugby that close, but working with the Springboks, that's where I really had to find out who. I was as a coach, and I, I think those things are, are formative in terms of where I've where I've come to yeah. now. You know, fast learning is important when you move through different different countries and different competitions. What was the key then for you, Les, in terms of uh, your development as a coach, so going from one code to another? What what was the a the the thing that you bought from league that worked in union to help you, and what was the hardest thing you had to learn? Uh, the hardest thing was just understanding uh, the nuances of going. I was six six months into coaching in union, and, and the light came on. It was understanding the breakdown um, and the set piece stuff. It's totally different to rugby league in that sense, but it it just like this this light came on, and I said every time the ball is in play, it, it, you can actually win the ball from the opposition side. You know, rugby league, you basically protected for six tackles in a row, aren't you? You can't really steal that ball yeah. unless it's a one-on-one. And so the nature of the game just opened up for me once I understood that. So uh, that I think that's what really got my juices running really as a, as a coach. Uh, I, I, have a, I have a quirky style. I, I try to innovate. I, I, I bring new ideas in and excite people in a different way. That, that was just my modus operandi as a coach since I've been young. But I think what really, really helped me was that um, I, I – 
I, I approach rugby from the unconventional sense. Now, when you're in rugby for a life, you, you, you see it in a traditional sense. I came from a different angle. I attacked it from a different angle, and I think I excited a lot of people about how you can possibly do things differently. And, and I think that stood to me over time, really, um, without a doubt. Well, I think the Reds are probably better at protecting the possession than the Wallabies. You know, would you say that the Wallabies <laughs> give it up too easy, either with a mistake or a penalty, and they're indisciplined? Yeah, I think one of the things I've noticed since I've come back, guys, is the um, the, the alignment in the game from the, from the ground up has just been lacking. You know, it, it's it's. You aspire to be wearing, you know, a Reds jersey or a Tars jersey in the systems here, and um, and and ultimately a Wallaby jersey. But there just seemed to be a lot of dysfunction and a lot of lack of communication. And when things aren't aligned, I think it's hard to be, mm. you know, doing things the same way. And I think that that lived it out on, on the eighty minutes every every weekend. It just wasn't clicking for people. But I, I think it's an it's happening now. I think there's some strong actions happening to make sure we align better. We all get on the same page. We've all got differences in, throughout the country. But if we can just find the common ground that we agree and and, and fight together in a, in a way that we can improve the product from the ground up, I think we can turn things around pretty quickly in this country. We're, we are a, a brilliant country. We're an innovative country. country. We, 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 we don't give up easily, as we all know. But I think we'll turn this around pretty quickly. What type of rugby will the Reds play this year under your coaching, Les? Uh, the, the tenets of the game matter. You know, good defence, uh, set piece strong. You know, you know, making sure that you look after the forward pack and, and the backs. You know, you know, they say forward packs. You know, go, do the grunt, the backs do the fancy stuff. But I like my team to be a team rather than backs and forwards. I like them to have a skill set that can actually explore their best. Uh, so. Um, if I was to put it into a couple of words, I want to be a very, very aggressive but progressive rugby team that they they work hard to create the opportunities, see space and have the courage and the convictions to pull the trigger and have a go. In the end, I think you can either approach the game from a, a very safe conservative side of things or you can actually try to create the opportunities and be creative to be progressive in it. So I'd be more on that side. If, if you've got the Harlem Globetrotters and you've got, you know, American football where everything is mapped out completely, I'd be more to the Harlem Globetrotters side where I want them to find out how good they can be. There'll be structure, obviously, in the game that we play, but I want it to be... Uh, that we're not a slave to structure, that the structure opens up the freedom for him to see pitches and play footy. I, that, that's where I'd like it to go. There's a lot of work to get there, but I, I want that freedom and expression. I, Aussies have this unbelievable ability to be skillful and express their skill in a certain way. So I think it's it's, it's just my duty to make sure I can open those opportunities up for them through the systems that we put in place here. And, and I'd reckon you've found that in the Queensland Reds. There's a nice level of experience there, plus... Plus some hunger from the likes of, you know, Liam Wright and Harry Wilson in those forwards and the, the, the props and you brought in an Irishman, um, you know, the, and, and then some experience in the backs as well as some hungry young blokes. Hey, do, you, do you think we're a chance of really showing some improvement along those lines? Well, I'd, I, I think when I came here, you know, what Brad Thorne put together is unbelievable. There's some really strong qualities, some the ethos, yeah. their care for the jersey. Uh, all those things are important, you know. Like, so it gave me a head start there. But, you know, when I talked to Hunter Pasami and Jordan Potato, they're 
just yeah. on 25 and one's right. been to two World Cups. So they're not, they seem young, but they've got a lot of experience. And I'm just asking them to play to their experience and bring that to the fore. You know, but the, the, the boys have just been so good throughout the off-season. They've worked hard. They're, they're excited about a lot of things. I, you know, we played Ballymore on Saturday against the force at 3 p.m. In a, in, a, in a trial. And I just hope they get a return for the work they put in. But they are hungry. Their appetite is massive. They, they want to grow and, 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 and learn to be a better team. They want to know how what it takes to win. They, they, they're very hungry. You're right there. And I, I, I think you know what Brad did over the last four or five years, brought a young group of players through. They, they, they're ready to try and find out how good they can be. Um, we're still the youngest average age in the, in the Super Rugby, uh, which is I, I look at as, as an advantage uh, because you know they don't have a ceiling on themselves. And I, and I hope I can help them unleash that and, and go forward positively. Yeah, I think the I think Australian rugby, rugby Australia, have got to look at that too because we're not that young, uh, which, which is which is great. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I wish you the best, uh, Les. It's going to be fantastic to watch, mate. Yeah, look, it will be. I'm, I'm really excited for the boys. Look, it, there'll be some things to work through because I have changed a few things. I haven't come here to be a change agent. I've just come here to hopefully build on some solid things from that they've built here. You know, Ballymore's our first chance um, to see how we go. You know, I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll find some, um, you know, hiccups along the way. But um, they'll fight hard for the jersey. And you know, round one against the, the Tars doesn't get any better in the yeah. 24th of uh, February. If, that, that, if we can do the right thing over the next two or three weeks in our friendlies. Um, um, hopefully that sets up a mouth-watering um, episode of what Super Rugby will be this year. Tomorrow afternoon, 3 o'clock, a full Super Rugby trial match. It's the Queensland Reds taking on the Western Force. Les Kiss, great to talk to you, mate. Thanks so much for your time. Paddy's very disappointed. He's back in Bundy today. Uh, he was so he was so keen to talk he's, to you. And I'll, he's at the opposition too. He's at a function with Sturlo and Wally at Across the Waves. He's not happy at all. Bloody hell. Well, listen, I was up there recently with the brother's uh, 75th uh, anniversary up there. Yes. We caught up then. But, um, well, he's up there picking tomatoes or something now and earning a few extra quid. That's good on it. Good on That's it. what he yes. needs. And as I said, it's always a good day when you speak to a bear. It's great. Good on you, mate. Thanks, Les. Thanks, good, Les. good luck for the year, buddy. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Now, plenty of news around in Formula One. Big news, too, was Sir Lewis Hamilton heading to Ferrari in 2025. Thought we should find a little bit more out about it. Heels, our SEN F1 expert is Cam Vanderduggen, who is the host of Gridwalk, and he joins us now. Cam, how are you, mate? Morning, boys. I wish I had a day off and went surfing, mate. When I heard the news breaking, my entire phone has lit up. My world has lit up. It's uh, gone crazy in the world of Formula One right now. Oh, then not to mention supercars, which we'll touch on if you know anything about what's going on there. But, but oh, first, mate, I've been, I'm in a big message trail heels about it, and we all thought nothing could top the supercars news until all of a sudden, 5.59 this morning, Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time, I get a message in uh, my Mercedes Formula One. So I'm part of their, their message trail with all journalists. Ooh. And they issued the statement that it was confirmed. So 5.59 this morning, confirmed Lewis Hamilton leaves the team after 11 seasons so far. He'll have one more and will break his contract. Um, so he was contracted to the end of 2025. He'll finish up at the end of 2024 and go across to the arch rival the biggest brand in Formula One in Ferrari. Why? Is uh, it money? There's many, many reasons, but it'll be performance-related, mainly performance-related. Since 2021, when he lost that title to Max Verstappen in 
what Mercedes will tell you is controversial circumstances. Um, they have not won, and well, Lewis has not won another race. So he has not had the performance in that car. Mercedes went the wrong way with their development. They've made all these promises for him. Lewis wants his eighth world title. He also knows that if you want to go down as a true legend in the sport, you do have to spend some time at Ferrari. It's just part of the, the evolutionary cycle of the sport. His, his hero was Ayrton Senna. Now, Ayrton Senna unfortunately died in 1994, but he always had the ambition, Senna did, that he would drive for Ferrari one day. So there's a lot in it. There's a lot of emotion. I don't think it's really money-related. It'll be performance and also history, historic. Yeah, so the, even these legends, do they get excited about getting into a Ferrari? Yeah, it, it, about 10 years ago, I wouldn't say it's the case right now because Formula One is just on an incredible high right now. But about 10 years ago, you could have said that Ferrari was bigger than Formula One. It is the longest, most storied, most fabled brand in the sport. And as a young driver coming up, every one of them would have dreamed at some stage of wearing Maranello red. And, uh, I mean, it, how good is it that Ferrari's got the movie out at the moment as well? Everything's, everything's going their way. And if you, want, if you want a little stat here, guys, this is incredible, right? If you're Lewis Hamilton, you're doing a deal. When the, um, the news broke, so this is not um, the, a formal announcement, just when all of a sudden the whispers started and the journos started breaking stories about this, um, the market cap, so the, the, um, the share value, because Ferrari's a listed company, the share value had a six-point bump just off the rumour. Since the announcement's been made, They've had a seven billion—that's a B—seven billion dollar rise in their market cap off the back of the announcement that Lewis Hamilton will, will be their driver. Well, that's two gabbers. So who who, <laughs> who becomes the number one driver then at Ferrari, or is that uh, still debatable? And how does it going to work with Charles Leclerc? You are spot on with that question because that is something that no one started to dig into just yet. Ferrari always say. Um, that they do have a number one driver. Historically, they've done it that way. I don't know how that plays out with Lewis and Charles because Charles has been the number one driver. He's got almost double the salary of Carlos Sainz, who's the current driver, yet Carlos Sainz was the driver that got the only win against Red Bull last year at Singapore, a race I was calling at the time. Incredible driver is Carlos Sainz, but he was treated like a number two. There is no way Lewis Hamilton is going to the team to be number two driver. Charles Leclerc... I remember his battles with Sebastian Vettel for dominance when he was a youngster, and he takes no backward steps. That is one to watch, certainly from 2025. Talk us through the Alpha Tori renaming. That has been a bit of a laughing stock. <laughs> the second team of Red Bull. Oh, mate. So, Heels, imagine being a commentator. I'm trying to get my head around this, preparing for the Australian Grand Prix coming up in less than 50 days' time. So if anyone wants to come down to Melbourne and go to that one, there's still tickets on the Thursday, Friday. Visa Cash App RB, or whatever it's called. They're calling it VCARP now, I think, is the, the nickname. How do we get our mouths around that when we're commentating? Here comes the Visa Cash App. Yeah. And it, they just cashed in, did they? They, they just took the cash and, and, and bowed to their wishes of having that on the car. Well, it, yeah, it's a really good, it's a really good question. I, I, there's a lot of noise around that team. Um, whether the regulations really allow for you to have two teams owned by the one parent company, I mean, that's been a, that's been a bone of contention for quite some time because you're not technically supposed to have ah, that. Right, yeah. There's been a bit of chat about you know trying to float that company or sell that company off, a bit like we've seen with Alpine. So Alpine now has owners like Anthony Joshua, Rory McIlroy, um, you know, the uh, McElhenney and um, you were just talking about soccer before, the Wrexham guys, yes. they're behind that Alpine as well. So there's a lot of money being pumped into that from sports stars and whatever else. 
there was a discussion that Daniel Ricciardo, when he came back into that team, was to help pump up the value for a potential sale, particularly after the um, the founder and owner of Red Bull passed away um, in recent years. That you know, was there still the same motivation to run two teams? So I don't really know what's going on with that team, but it's something to something for us to watch this year. And Andretti has missed out on being a part of the Formula One family as well. Yeah, and that is causing a lot of um, ructions behind the scene at the moment. So what happened was um, there is three available franchises to run Formula One teams. So they've got the option to put three more teams in there. So we've got 10 at the moment. Andretti put their hat in the ring. There was five teams that tried to get in. Now, they were all knocked back by the FIA bar one, which was Andretti. So Andretti was given the green light from the governing body of the sport that they could race. Then Formula One has knocked them back. Now, that was not just Andretti. It was also Cadillac. So General Motors coming to the party. So big time names. Now, FIA and Formula One, so the sporting promoter and the sporting organiser, are going to war over this because the belief is the teams won't allow another one in because it dilutes their funding. So there's a bit of um, bit of political angst behind the scenes there. Andretti said they're going to keep working towards it. The story I thought that was going to break today, because I knew there was a big story breaking today, I thought the story that was going to break today was Andretti were going to buy Haas, which I believe is a potential likelihood. But, um, but yeah, Lewis Hamilton blindsided us all. Oh, would they get Gunther back? <laughs> well, that, that was funnily enough in our jo- joking around with a few of us. It would be how cool would it be to see Andretti take over Haas, maybe even like Andretti Haas, you know, combined and then put Gunter back at the helm. It would have been great for uh, Drive to Survive on Netflix. Oh, it might be all about that, actually, all this turmoil. My, well, it's the biggest sport in the world now. If you saw the numbers, Formula One, Liberty Media, the owners of Formula One, are now the, the biggest in terms of financials, the biggest sporting organisation in the world. I think the, the numbers were only a couple of weeks ago. It's incredible how big it was. I mean, but they, they had a billion dollars themselves to drop on one event, which was the Las Vegas Grand Prix mm. last year. Uh, Cam, my initial reaction when you're talking about Andretti and Haas there was if um, they blocked... Andretti becoming the 11th team, could they also block Andretti buying Haas? Because the say, the logic remains the same as the reason behind not allowing them to give them that 11th franchise as to then taking over a franchise, doesn't it? No, it, it's slightly different because they've already got it. They're already running. They can't stop a purchase because that'd be a restriction of trade. What they've done is, is, is they're blocking uh, a new team coming in for whatever reason it is. Once you're in, it's hard to get out, essentially. But um, no, they, they could buy it. They could relatively buy it. They could relatively easily buy it. It's just cash, really. Mm. But the big question, well, the thing that's going on behind the scenes is people aren't comfortable within the sport about Haas, not putting the money into the team that it probably needs, not running it the way it needs to be run. Um, so there is a bit of angst in the sport. And I, I would imagine there are a few people sitting there at Liberty Media and maybe a few people at the FIA that wouldn't mind seeing Andretti take over Haas or at least pump a lot of money into it. Yeah, yeah, good call. All right, Supercars has the champ, the reigning champ, left Erebus. Oh, mate. So, okay. Now, I can speak however I want because I do not work in Supercars anymore, but I did do 10 or 11 years with Supercars Media, and I am well and truly aware of the behind the scenes. So, boys, I can talk very freely about this. Brody wanted to leave mid-year last year. He wanted out of that team. It has not been a happy uh, home for, uh, for Brody in at Erebus. Now, Barry, who, uh, you know, I've, I've worked with the guy. I know how prickly he can be at times, but I also know he's, he's a bit broken by this as well because he's already taken to LinkedIn and put up a post yesterday as well. 
they're doing their best to keep the contracts going and see if they can hold him to his contract. Brody wants out of the deal right now. Uh, Shane Van Gisbergen, a former champ that's now gone to the US, he retired previously to get out of a contract with Betty Clemenko, the owner of Erebus. So there is form where drivers have broken contracts early with her. There's others that have been held to it. So there is a contractual battle going on behind the scenes. But what I understand, Brody's not coming back. From what I understand, Brody will not race in supercars this year. Having said that, I have heard whispers that a couple of team owners have looked at their contracts with drivers and are throwing those out the window and making a play for Brody right now. But from what I understand from Brody's people, he has no intent in driving supercars this year, which is incredible to think that the champion is out the very next season. Yeah. Unheard of in most sports in well, that respect. SVG was the same, yeah. wasn't he? He left out. But I think it plays into Red Bull. Red Bull might come into their own, Will Brown and Brock Feeney. Yeah, look, it's it's really interesting where Supercars is at as a championship at the moment. I think these young drivers, we, we haven't built enough of a personality or a profile of them. Like we've got in Formula One, Liberty turned it around and said, Let's not focus on the, the teams as much. Let's build the personalities and the characters of the paddock. And that's what, in all sport, we mm. don't just support a team. We support people. We have underdogs. We have heroes, villains. We just seem to be missing that in, um, in supercars at the moment. And the last time we had it, we had you know, the white knight in Scotty McLaughlin and we had the, you know, the, the bad guy in Shane Van Gisberg and all vice versa, depending on which team you went for. I think the sport needs to build up some more heroes because there is some incredible talent there some wonderful personalities. I just feel it's a little bit too polished at the moment. Let's, let's see a bit of raw. Let's see a bit of real. I mean, that's, that's how Netflix got full swing off the deck. That's, there's a new NASCAR one, Formula One. The only reason people started watching it because they started to see the real people behind the scenes. And I think that's what Supercars needs to do. Mm. Just finally, mate, in your opinion, what would it take to get Brady Kostecki in a car this year in Supercars? Oh, that's, that's probably a question I couldn't answer. It'll be contract-related. So if he's saying I'm not racing for anyone, it might allow him to get out of that contract. Um, it would need to be a competitive car in a good environment and probably you know, a decent enough wage. But I don't think it's actually about the drive or the money. I think it's more about just getting out of the environment he was in. So, um, and look, that's not me making any comments about Erebus because I've got some, some really good relationships with that team and the people there. So sometimes, though, teams and people just don't work together. Well, it's been a big day in motorsport, big couple of days, and watch this space or listen to Gridwalk here on SEN. Cam Vanderduggan, thanks for your time, mate. Thanks, Cam. Thanks, guys.